welcome to another episode of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine. And on this special Criterion, sponsored but not because it's not like it was given to us, we're just picking two movies from the Criterion Collection episode, we are, we're at the end of the world, Christine. Truly, in more ways than one. It is the nuclear apocalypse, (laughs) bad things have happened, Uh, somebody on this planet has made very bad mistakes, and the world is dying, is it not, in two very different films from very different eras, and yet, and yet they share so many things in common, do they not? They they do, that Mm -hmm. is true. Lots of parallels. Now, tell me what the movies we're talking about today are. Um, so it would be, uh, I think 1961, Mm -hmm. the day the earth caught fire and then 1983's Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, now had you seen either film before? Absolutely not. Okay. I had seen Testament. I had Mm -hmm. not seen the day the earth caught fire. And that was one of the things that excited me because I think at my age of almost 42 and having spent a good chunk of that time period watching post-apocalyptic nuclear films, I thought I've seen most of them, but it's mm-hmm. always exciting when I find some that I haven't. And Day of the Earth Caught Fire was a new one for me. Yeah, I'm, I, knew, I knew that. And I'm very much looking forward to your take, considering I think you're a little bit more well-versed than I am. Well, why don't we talk about our own history and experiences with the nuclear apocalypse? When did you discuss, I think this is really, I was thinking about this, especially with Testament, which came out in 1983. You and Uh I were both born in 82. And in a way, we kind of missed the Cold War, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you remember the Cold War? Do you remember being scared of the Soviets and scared of nuclear testing? No. Same. Uh, It, when did, I wish I I should know these things, but Cold War ended, what, like 89, 88, something like that? Um, I thought it was 88, but I. Yeah, somewhere around there. And even though, like, we both grew up probably with, like, war games and some other kind of popular entertainment that was still, like, in you know, very much about that, yeah, that's not what was being made for us when we were kind of of the age to consume this stuff. Yes. So I kind of had a discover. I remember this really distinctly because it was kind of, like, one of those kind of personal pop culture uh, moments in life that really took me down a different direction. Uh, I wish I remembered what year it was. It had to be early, mid-90s. I want to say it was about 13. Maybe it was like 95, somewhere around there. The Sci-Fi Channel, which at the time did not have Ys in the name. It was like Sci, S-C-I, Fi, F-I mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Siffy. Not the Siffy Channel, yes. This is way yeah. before it got really cool and hip with the kids. It was doing, it would air a lot of older stuff. And it, at one point, I don't remember why I thought to watch this because I had never heard of it, but I remember distinctly, I must have turned it on 10 minutes into it. And I saw like John Lithgow and Jason Robards and thought, oh, I don't know what this movie is, but I like these actors. What is this? And it was The Day After. Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Day After? I have not. Ah, oh. uh, so The Day After. I think, I think you'll see a theme yeah. with me. And the complete reverse for me. Um, If you don't know, the day after was, I think, around also around 83. And it was a made-for-TV miniseries about a sort of fictional, ideally fictional history where um, America gets bombed by the Soviets. And for all we know, the Soviets also got bombed, but the, the day after is all about different parts of the United States and just people dealing with the aftermath. And basically, it's people dying of nuclear radiation poisoning. Uh, it's really effective. It's really powerful. Uh, the, the next year, Threads came out in England, which I didn't see for a very long time. And Threads makes the day after look like 
like very like PG rated, whereas Threads is just an, an absolute nightmare. But the day after for me being 13 and never really having experience with this, it was really effective. I remember then like asking my parents about it and both of them kind of not realizing that because I'm the youngest in my family. So like they probably went through all these conversations with my older siblings during like different stuff on the Cold War and like trying to probably constantly saying like, no, we'll be okay. The Soviets aren't going to kill us. But then there was me who didn't go through this and they had to sort of like go through it with me again of like, no, we're okay now. But yeah, this is what we really thought would happen. And we thought the same thing in the 50s, 60s. And it just from that point on, I was like obsessed with nuclear apocalypses and and I've carried that through my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I am one of those people that just finds the apocalypse of any sort. And before then, I had been a zombie fan. So I had already had like, in my head would play games of Dawn of the Dead and like what would happen mm-hmm. if zombies were outside? Like, would we, how long would we survive in the basement? That kind of thing. But nuclear war takes it to a very different place. But so with you, was it just a kind of still not something you actively participate in? Um, it's active avoidance, mm. I would say. Okay. Um, I don't like it. I It's too uh, incomprehensible and yet too um, real. Mm. It It causes an existential spiral that I struggle to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, the fallout from uh, radiation is uh, is terrifying to me is the concept of drowning. Yeah. I cannot comprehend it, and yet it is too real. I hate it. So, I'm so, very sorry for having chosen cool. these movies. I didn't necessarily know, but like, I know I've, I've, this is not, it's not something you can avoid because to your point, it absolutely dominated um, a culture multiple times. Yeah. So like you can't avoid it. And now it's back in conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not avoidable. So to, it's just, I guess for me, media wise, there are some places that I just don't go mm-hmm. like kids being like in peril and like, and people's hair falling out and fingernails falling <laughs> out and, and basically melting from the inside is something that is too akin to incomprehensible body horror that I don't want to approach it. Emily quickly scratches off threads on her <laughs> assignment for next week's episode. I don't, I don't like, I don't know. Like, uh, and I will say that both of these were fine. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't, trigger some kind of unraveling in me Good. but like i uh, i have feelings and opinions that are larger than the subject matter which mm-hmm. i'm really proud of myself for getting there to Aww. able to critique these as actual movies and not just um emotional exploitation yeah. well I, you said something many things but you said one thing in particular that i think is really interesting that i wasn't thinking about until kind of now when we start talking about both of these is that there really were two distinct eras of this mm-hmm. that the day of the earth earth caught fire is 1961 and again forgive me for not having a good history date but what was it late i know my mom was a duck and cover kid my mom would, would talk about this and i can't remember if i've ever said this here but for those who don't know i taught esl in russia for a year back in 2007 And I was living in Moscow, teaching primarily adults, and my mom came to visit, and she came to one of my classes, and it was really fun because it was, you know, my mother, a New Yorker through and through, talking to, you know, these Russians, and one of the things that came up was my mom started talking about, like, you know, what, what it was like for her growing up when Russia was the enemy, 
And, you know, she was telling telling these people who were all about in their 20s, early 30s mm-hmm. about duck and cover. And they were so just like flabbergasted, like, wait, they thought you would hide under the desk and you'd be protected. And of course, as they're saying this, my mom is looking at them and having this realization of like, oh, my God, what were they teaching us? Mm-hmm. And it was obviously a very different experience than what people in the 80s grew up with which wasn't quite that it was more okay now we know a little bit more about what you would do so you find a fallout shelter and do this and that but still you had two very different um you know a good 20 year gap between this being something that was kind of at the forefront of this constant nagging fear and mm-hmm. i mean today it's it's kind of been sort of i think brewing in the undercurrent of things it hasn't been you know ev- I don't think it's the number one fear that most of us have in terms of world conflicts right now, but it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know about you, for me, it's like, okay, I live close enough to the city that I'm dying right away. And that's the best way to handle this. Uh, uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or are you a survivor, Christine? Are you going to be the one leading everybody in that bunker? I'm just really tired. Mm. Honestly, I, I like not, I think it's best to just, deal with this early in the episode i have a very bleak outlook on the future i am so Mm. tired and so sick of trying to puzzle out what the best way to die is sure i don't i don't care anymore so (laughs) whatever can i counter that with something annoyingly positive i i do love that about you so please well i think both of these films actually are end on lessons of beatness even though spoiler alert um at least to the second of the films they don't necessarily end happy in a traditional sense i think both of these films in particular testament which is the more devastating of the two i think are very much about the positives of humanity and the good that comes out of disaster and um again i said this when we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about um Aniara and Lockdown Tower, two movies that are kind of mm-hmm. about the end of the world in a sense. That any, to me, I think something, and again, this is like a new realization for me. Any story about the end of the world is a story about today's world. And I think the other side of that is we are all going to die. Death is something that is inevitable. Um, so the difference between it being everybody at one time or, you know, sooner than you think, it's all about what you make of it. And I think that's something that testament for me on this viewing, maybe because I knew what was coming, so I was prepared for some of the devastation, I was able to watch it in this kind of rosier glasses of, no, but it's a, it's there's something very powerful about about how they face this. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I, I didn't like that movie. But we'll oh, no. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. No, it's fine. This is just going to be a weird episode. Sorry. I think so. That's okay. I'm a, I'm a weird person. That's it's, what the people came for. <laughs> My undying positivity and your tell it like it is. Uh... All right. So want to go chronologically and talk about Day the Earth Caught Fire first? Sure. It might work out better that way just on account of the fact that I think it's interesting to see the science change. True. True. That's a very good point. Uh, we'll probably be spoiling both of these, so to everybody who wants to be fresh, don't listen. Uh, yeah. Both of them are, are streaming on Criterion, so that's uh, where you can find them. All right, Day of the Earth Crowd Fire, why don't you give us a little uh, storytelling synopsis there? Okay, so 
Day the Earth caught fire is very big Twilight Zone energy to me. But yes! like but not like in you know how Twilight Zone there's the Twilight Zone episode where it's super duper hot mm. and then at the end you realize it's actually super duper cold. Yes. Like that's you know, it's it's got that energy, but yet without the, the, the twist. So yeah. essentially, um the US in Russia uh, accidentally set off um bombs at the same or like around the same time. Yeah, and it's it testing. Shifts. So it's not yeah. attacks, but they are doing nuclear testing. They're testing it. So it shifts the Earth off its, off its axis. Like mm-hmm. it changes the rotation of the Earth. And, and, it, and it changes natural events, like weather changes, like all that type of thing. And uh, it's basically from the perspective of like the, a newspaper figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Which is extremely interesting framing yeah. to me. Yeah, I really like that aspect of it. Me too. Yeah, it, it's like your typical fast-talking newsroom. Yeah, where yeah. everybody talks really quickly and everybody has a nickname and they call this guy the boy and they call this guy the drunk and this and that. And yeah. it's like a little bit annoying, but once you get into the rhythm of it, yeah. it's I like it. I I dug that aspect. Yeah, it was it was it's definitely like a very. Um, it's 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 also this story but it's a really like good snapshot of like a specific time and what like the perception of like men's jobs were yes <laughs> yes yeah there's kept... some weird gender things going on here uh-huh and i kept thinking like at one point i just want to be a man in the in the early 60s working <laughs> A printing press. I know it's not romantic and it's probably a terrible backbreaking job, but like there was a dude just tying up newspapers with twine. Yes. And I went like, yeah, I could have done that. I could have been the <laughs> newspaper bundle tiler. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, so it's, it's a, a big thing is happening, but we get similar to the other movie, like a, like a microcosmic view of it. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're just dealing with, these people breaking this story and figuring out what's happening yeah. on a global scale. But because it is so, because it is centered in a newsroom, mm-hmm. you do have a little bit of a better ear towards what's really happening. And you can't mm-hmm. trust all of it. And and they don't. And there's something, we, we finished uh, The Wire recently. And so season five is all about the newsroom. And it's funny because season five of The Wire kind of has aged really poorly because it just feels so angry at the time of what a newsroom was mm-hmm. and it's so out of date now but yet that was 2000 and what 2007 and that felt exactly like this newsroom in 1961 like mm-hmm. in a way how different how from 1961 to 2007 a newsroom ran the same way with that same energy of you don't print it until we fact check it twice you don't put it in there if you don't have a quote all that yeah. to how you know by 2000 10 how different that was because of the internet because of cable and everything else but that this does feel it is a classic newsroom so you do you're hearing rumors but you're hearing some factual stuff and it's not like nobody confirms it until they can confirm it which Mm -hmm. is kind of cool because it just gives you this you start to get suspicious but you can't you know not to buy anything as fact until you really know it's a fact until the characters do yeah and it's cool to watch them you know like research and guess and come up with theories and yep. like oh my my theory was right you know it's just, yeah it's like cool so that does underscore something because you you look at these things and you're like how would this play out now at mm. least that's my feeling and something that really struck me about this movie is the lack of infrastructure we have we don't have 
reporting like this. We don't have news gathering like this. And we also don't have wired telephones the way they seem yeah. to in this film. So it made me very worried. Like, okay, they, I, they're able to keep some level of like communication. Oh, but we don't have any of that stuff anymore. And it made me super bummed out. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Like some of the little things that you don't think about of when he when he's on the road, right? When he is out there researching story, he has to stop somewhere so that his office can contact him if they need to. So he has mm -hmm. to, you know, go to somebody's apartment and say like, okay, this is the number you're calling. And that does, it's a different situation today where everything would be cell phones and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should talk about the central relationship because you do get oh, yeah. a romance. And it is, I went on a wild ride with this one. I am curious how, where you fell on it. I, it was very of a time, the courtship. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I liked her a lot. Me too. Um, I, what is her character name? Um, oh, it is Jeannie. Jeannie. Yeah, Janet Monroe. She, I liked her a lot. She was very sassy and, and like stood up for herself mm -hmm. and like had a moral compass and principles and like, a clear character thrust. I like her a lot. She's very witty too. She yeah. could repartee with him and serve him every time. I thought I thought it was great, but I do wish maybe it was a little like lighter on the trying to like force her into sexual situations. Yeah, <laughs> the coercion was a little high. Um, but like I again, it's sixty one, so mm -hmm. like that is kind of the way that I guess it is and having her be sassy and have agency I guess was like the feminist slant that we could hope for yeah and I guess it's 61 so it's Hayes Code is is just gone right yeah. uh and because it does feel it, it's a little bit more um pushing a line than it would have been probably like just a year or two earlier mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the scene where uh she's in her like he's come to her apartment they're kind of stuck there for different reasons and like she's basically topless but not and he's like in the room the, the flirting in that scene the kind of constant like i'm gonna kiss you i'm not i thought that was wildly sexy yeah, there, you mean like when she was washing her hair and she had like the towel around her neck? Yeah, and like they keep kind of coming close yeah. to each other. Like at that point, like you know yeah. they want each other, but there, there's other things that keep kind of calling them apart. But it was like right where, like right before they do bone, like we, we see that they're about to. But it's like before that, there's like a good like yeah, scene yeah, yeah, of them yeah. talking back and forth and getting interrupted that I thought was really, really sexy. Yeah, it was good. I liked I liked them. I didn't, it didn't feel like, ham-handed it didn't feel out of out of the blue it was it, it was a, an effective part of the story mm -hmm. and and stuff and and the relationship so it made the relationship like mean something yes. and it's good too because it's like there's a a little bit of a relationship in the other one but it, it's it's one of those things you see in a, a lot of movies like this like the dawn of the dead remake just mm -hmm. people kind of getting mashed together because yeah like of the trauma or the the fear of the end type of stuff and i i always find it effective it's fun yeah and i think they give him enough of, it's uh peter stennings as the character stenning they give him enough of a personality and backstory yeah to where i mean he's he's kind of an asshole but he's an alcoholic and he seems to be acknowledging that and goes dry during the film and has a past and is like owns up to the fact that like no these are his mistakes and 
it just makes it more interesting that you have a very flawed character as your compass just keeps it a little more dynamic. So it's not this, you know, I feel like more and more today, you need that person to be very much more of a cipher. And here he's not. He, you cannot like him for a lot of this movie until you realize you're on his side. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. I agree with that completely. Uh, And he also is a father. We meet his Mm -hmm. son. So towards the end of the movie, when like you start to realize that everybody is sort of going places because they think the world's going to end and he's not going to be with his son. um, Did you have the same realization that I did of, oh, thank God, because if I was with this kid, I would probably want the world to end. Oh, you didn't like that kid? Oh, that kid drove me crazy. Um, I liked that scene. I actually wrote down quotes from this movie. I really Ooh. liked this movie. Oh, good. Um, I liked that scene because, so they, they like, the kid in this, the main character, Dad, like to go to the fun fair. Mm-hmm. And so they go to the fun fair at the end and, like, they're saying goodbye, which is actually really heartbreaking. Yeah. Because the mother and the father, him and the mother aren't together. He just sees the kid. They're remarried to some rich de- guy. So he's like, basically just, this movie reminded me a lot of 2012. Don't worry, I'll go into it. But, <laughs> so they're, they're talking, him in the, in the new, the husband. And, and yeah. he's like, to just, you know, just take care, take care of the boy. And the, the fucking new husband looks at him and he says, it all seems pretty ridiculous now. And it was like, yeah, mm. assholes, everyone. What, yeah. are we, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. It made me very, like, upset. And also, 61. Yeah. Like, guys, we're telling the same story over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And it was very frustrating. But there were some beautiful lines like that and some really fun storytelling devices. This movie is really well constructed it is and even like there's one thing i noted when there's obviously there's a lot of exposition in this movie because you're talking about the world ending there's science there's a little bit of politics there's all these different things that have to go on a page to get things done like this this movie is you know 90 minutes the script was probably 200 pages Mm because it's very fast talking yeah but the it's also it's val guest who made it the choices in how things are staged are really dynamic. There's a scene where um, Peter and uh, Jeannie, like they're meeting again after they haven't met in a while because she's kind of given him intel that she shouldn't have given him, but also it's kind of important for the world to know. And so they have to meet like somewhere where people won't see them and they end up at the same fun fair and they go on a ride. So they're just talking. It is a pure exposition of them talking back and forth, but they're on a Ferris wheel while it's happening, which now, admitted, for me, who does get a little nauseous on rides like that, it was a little bit nauseating, but also really dynamic. And I appreciated mm-hmm. that, like, the, 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 there was a way for things to move, even when it was just pure dialogue. Yep. I, 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 rem- I know that scene. I love it. Because when they chose to cut away, I made a note of, I was like, this is such good storytelling. Yeah. Because, like, they don't, they continue to, like, keep things from the audience as well. Mm-hmm. So, and the way they choose to do that is really fun. And they use a lot of techniques that you still see in movies. Like, they kind of tell it out of order. They start. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We start with, in the, at the end, we start in a different color scheme as well. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so that's interesting and Mm -hmm. very very modern storytelling technique. And I thought that the the Ferris wheel was like, that was some really classic storytelling. And I thought it was really good. I'm glad you called that out because I would have forgotten. Um, other other notes I had was 
there is a lot of fast talking, as we as we said. It's very like it's 1961, but it feels very like His Girl Friday esque in terms of how quickly they talk. And there's a scene where like they're kind of picnicking, they're outside, they're on a date, and there's a big fog that comes over, so emergency bells go off, and everybody's kind of running to their cars, and they find a kid who can't find their parents. Mm-hmm. And they like, and so, you know, like good people, they pick up the kid, they're like, hey, what, where's your mom? Where's your dad? We'll help you. And they talk, but they talk so much to the kid that like, they're like, yeah, the kid won't talk. I was like, no, 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 you're talking so fast that you didn't give the kid a minute to say, my name's Jenny. I'm looking for my mother. Yeah. Like, chill out, guys. Right? I'm she, like, they're kidnapping she, this child. She does talk immediately to the cops. <laughs> as soon so as I the cops maybe... like, hi, what's your name? She's like, oh my God, get me away from these people. Yeah, they won't shut thank up. Thank God. Blah, 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 these two. Right? All they're doing is is flirting and not fucking. Come yeah, on. Blah, blah, yeah. <laughs> I think, it, I thought that was very funny and cute. And he's very cute with that little girl and stuff, too. Yes. Well, and it's this, like, I mean, I know there was always, a, at least, like, when I was younger, there was a thing that was like, oh, it's very sexy to see a man who's good with kids. And, yeah. like, this movie does that in a way that's very appropriate because it also then, like, it's actually really good storytelling because that's when... The, the statement comes out of like, oh, yeah, I, I'm a dad. I have a kid. Like, right, that didn't come up otherwise. And it comes up organically in this conversation that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense for this these, this couple at this, this juncture. Mm-hmm. Um, did you catch the before he was famous? I did. Uh, yes. Did, now, how did you catch it? Did you hear it and go, oh. I heard it. Yeah, yep. Brandon did. Brandon walked in. He's like, that's Michael Caine. That's so funny. <laughs> Zach walked in the second he started yep. talking and we both looked at each other. And then the second we looked back to the screen, they did enough of like a side profile close up. Yeah. You barely see his like, face. Oh, yep. There we go. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Brandon I said, it. he's like, nobody else it. sounds like that. That's Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yep. Mm-hmm. I heard it. It was mm-hmm. very fun. Um, it was nice to see him very young, very dapper. I mean, I didn't really see him. I didn't think I could see his face at all. I just went by the voice. Well, I, I see that body. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom, enhance, enhance. Well, he was just tall and, and lean and, and I don't know. <laughs> I was good like, cop. good for Michael Caine. <laughs> um, the, so there's, so I guess one thing I think that is worth talking about because it uh, also flows into Testament a little bit is, you know, this movie is very much centered on this character and this newsroom, mm-hmm. but you get enough of how, at least they're in, I guess they're in London, they're in England, I assume London, how a society is sort of reacting to everything. Uh, and so you do get some of these, you know, wild kids looting and kind of partying. Where, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? I love that. Mm-hmm. So one of my thoughts was, and again, this is the 60s, it's a different time, and it's also the filmic representation of London in the 60s. So it's not accurate, obviously. Right. There, there were a the... lot of matte paintings, for one thing. So Yeah, well, that's true. There were. I don't think there were so many <laughs> just on the streets back then. <laughs> but, but, like, I did think, like, oh, everybody's being absurdly well-behaved, like, the mm-hmm. whole time. Like, everybody's being real chill and really listening to authority, which I think would have been true, but also was probably played up because it's a movie. So it was it was a welcome for me to see kind of like an like a like it's falling apart. Kind of like because, the first two weeks of the pandemic versus the second two weeks of the pandemic. Because it's just kind of like I think that I think that there would be some people saying fuck it because it, yeah. the movie does get to a point where it's kind of like well we have 
a few months or maybe we can fix it or maybe we have a few months so to to think that some people kind of wouldn't fly off the handle or yeah. use it as like a hedonistic like this is it kind of thing is silly so i i thought it was great that they finally mm -hmm. chose to show it i did think it was weird that it was right towards the end it was only for a couple seconds and i guess people broke into her house and tried to drown her i don't really understand i didn't fully understand that either yeah it was kind of like a sexual assault, but like then it also was just like it seemed like childlike and innocent. I didn't understand. It seemed like more, hey, if you're not partying, you're not cool. Like more that than yeah. Because at this point, she in some ways is sort of like should be considered a bit of a hero because she has, you know, she's the the whistleblower of mm -hmm. being the one to give the intel of oh no, like this shit's bad. And her name is out there in the public. People know she's, um, I think she's imprisoned at one point in the movie. Mm -hmm. So you would think like, oh, she's got, she occupies a certain place in society in this part. And like, I guess I don't think anybody, like, I don't think the movie treats it as if she is a celebrity. Um, so yeah, I didn't fully understand. Was it just like everybody partying? And like, if you're not partying, we're going to kill you. Kind of what I took from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way, like. Uh, maybe that was code for like just general drug fueled mayhem mm -hmm. and like I wasn't supposed to understand it. yeah well, but, and it reminded me a little bit I wondered if um one of my favorite end of the world movies last night which did I make you watch that did you see that with me Don McKellar maybe. Sandra Oh David Cronenberg no, I, I don't think so oh, I can't believe I haven't maybe. made you watch that Maybe? I won't, I but it's it so good. Uh, it is. It's. It's just a beautiful. It's. It's a movie that is about. It is very similar to seeking a friend at the end of the world in terms of the oh, setup. I like that movie. Yeah, yeah, where it's the everybody knows the world is going to end. Like there's no question about it. So it's just basically how do you spend your aha titular last night? Uh, and it's it's wonderful. If anybody hasn't seen it, please watch it. It is a beautiful, beautiful movie. And there is the opening of the movie is like characters just kind of partying and flipping over a car, which is what you would probably do in this scenario. But it made me wonder if like very specific visually, if that was a reference to this movie or not. Hmm. No, I definitely have not watched this. Um, it looks really good. It's so Emily. good. Christine, Should it I... is so good. If you want to do it, an episode on it, I would do it in a heartbeat. Also... Don McKellar didn't know that that's what that man's name was. Um, yeah. Looking foxy in this and IMDb picture. He, so. he writes and directs it, and he's in it, I, and he stars in it. I did see that. Christine David Cronenberg is in this movie. I know. I won't watch Cronenberg movies, but I will watch movies Cronenberg. He eats ice cream in this movie. I don't. I don't want to give you too many things to think about tonight when you go to bed. But David Cronenberg oh, yeah. eating ice cream. And Sarah Pauly. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the cast uh, I'll think about it okay okay it's again it's one of those movies that I don't, I don't know I'm not the best barometer because to me it is both uplifting and beautiful and also a little sad but you know because the world ends yeah. it's not a spoiler it's what the movie's about <laughs> that's the good thing with most of these it's not a spoiler well and now on that note yes what are your thoughts on the ending of this movie um I liked it what do you think, what what happens? Like, where do you think we're left at the end of this movie? Um, I, I think maybe my previous statement is a little bit more true than, than I thought. I am too tired to care. Mm, I, okay. I don't care. I, I didn't, it didn't make me upset. 
and everybody seemed like they were in a good place. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of like, all right. Yep. It is very ambiguous. I loved the ambiguity of it. I did too. Yeah. I definitely didn't feel like I needed to be told. Like, I don't feel like not knowing changed my experience with the movie, which is good. I feel like the right decision was to have us not know. Yeah. Now, here's something very interesting. Because to me, I watched this movie on Criterion, same as you, and I felt it ended with me not knowing. I felt the whole point was, we have taken this gamble. We don't know if this is the end of the world or the beginning of a new world. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. You're, we're leaving you now, so you won't find out, but it's going one way or another. And I loved that. Apparently, according to the trivia... The American ending adds church bells to signal that the world has been saved, but this is not stated uh, not to have, but this was not the original ending. Now, I I went back and, because I thought, I'm like, did I, I don't remember if there were church bells. And I rewatched the very ending on Criterion, and there are church bells. Like, it ends, he gives his speech, um, it's a very beautiful speech, and there are church bells at the end. I did not make a connection of, oh, that means we're okay. Um... So to me, that didn't take anything away because I just didn't interpret it yeah, the way I guess I the Americans wanted me to. Well, also, again, a different time. I don't know yeah. that we think church of church bells is like a universally hopeful symbol. Like, sure. That's, that's a very good point. I, I So no, now that you're saying it, I think maybe I did have a little bit of hopefulness and maybe the bells did inform that a little bit, but it was still like a melancholy hopefulness. It wasn't like a... Like, a, this is definitely going great feeling. So still ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting because it never, those, the church bells never to me meant anything. Because uh, yeah. if the world was yeah. going to blow up and you have church bells in place, they're probably going to ding because, ding, you know. it's not going right? to change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things are going to move. Yeah. That's how it bells. Huh. I wonder if it's, if that's us or that's because of the time we live if that's because of modern movies but yeah it didn't it didn't feel like it was like a nice clean button on it Mm -hmm. yeah agreed yeah i i I love we've talked about this i think you're the same as me i love a good ambiguous ambiguous ending yeah me too yeah if it's if it's not gonna be the big twilight zone fuck you guess what it's the reverse of what you thought then i do (laughs) want an ambiguous ending especially about speculative stuff like this yeah because Part of the reason why it's so interesting is because you get to see like these little like character stories play out, like what ifs play out. I don't necessarily know that I need a definitive ending when mm-hmm. you're clearly making things up. This didn't happen. That's a good point. <laughs> it's it's something that always bothers me when like I watch a movie that is not based on a real story that then gives me like a text coda telling me what happened to characters in the movie. I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, you, I know. you don't have to do yep. that. Like, you're not, yep. it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, that all the time. Yeah, it so doesn't make sense. You feel that way. Yeah. Uh, something else, I think, on that note is the, like, you're very much centered on Peter and Jeannie, but you have a lot of these other side characters <gasps> that are really that, fun. That little boy who ends up getting sick. He wasn't a little boy. He was a grown man. He, he was, was a grown. They refer to him as the boy. <laughs> but that I loved him. Me he too. He was so helpful, and he did such hard work. Yeah. It used to take so many people to do things. <laughs> You're right. I kind of miss it, honestly. Like I kind of miss the thoughtfulness involved in like people having to go and look something up. Now we just, yeah. I don't know. I do. I'm not going to say I don't appreciate modern convenience and technology. I just do think we lost something when we lost that tactile. 
yeah. things so so quickly. I mean, again, like I can rant about AI and ChatGPT technology all day long. It is there's the reasons I am scared of it. Aside from like the you know stealing uh, people's in- intellectual uh, output, it's the there's two big parts of it. One, all of this takes jobs away. No matter mm-hmm. how you cut it, it, it's taking jobs away. And it's just putting this bigger distance between every individual and every other individual. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't have to look something up now or like really go ask somebody. We just ask a robot and we believe the robot, even though we have no real reason to really believe the robot. That it's the robot's just regurgitating other things that have been said to it. And it terrifies me so much. But, the, and this is, this is what I'm saying. Yes, it's, a, it's like, I don't, I don't have a problem with modern convenience and technology, but there was like a way that you were interacting with the data and with the people yeah. behind the data that is, is lost. It's the same as the telephones. Like mm-hmm. if cell service, if something happened to cell phone towers, like, or like we wouldn't be able to talk to each other. We don't have these landlines. Yeah, we don't even know anybody's numbers. That is such a good point. And again, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not like fighting against it. But I think it happened really fast. And I don't think we fully assessed what we were losing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I think you think about when you watch an end of the world movie. Because Mm -hmm. so much of it is the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose cell service. You're going to lose internet. And... And that's something we didn't talk about, it, but we had, we had kind of talked off mic a little bit about um, uh, Leave the World Behind, which uh, is a movie that came on Netflix with um, Julia Roberts. It's another end of the world movie. And one of like the main nagging things of that is how completely inept Ethan Hawke's character, who's a, you know, educated guy mm-hmm. in his early 50s and he's got a family and he's pretty well off and how as soon as you take away his cell phone he cannot drive two miles without getting lost. Like, and it's very hard, you know, on the nose, but it's also, you step back and you think, oh my God, is that me? Like, if this happens, yeah. do I have any of these skills? And at the same time, the odds of this happening are hopefully so minute that, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know, like, if it happens, is that going to be the thing that destroys me or something else? And I don't know, it's just a question on where you put your skills and your time and all that. And then you have the, you know, old guy at the at the paper who, you know, kind of the, the sweaty older guy who's got heart problems and all that. And he's the one who knows everything. Mm-hmm. I it, liked him. I mean, but it's cool to have, I like that character, like Me in too. this style of story or not. I, I think maybe it's easy to vilify like a, a know-it-all kind of blowhard guy, like old guy type, because like most of those guys now kind of suck. But like... <laughs> If, if presented a certain way, I love that. I yeah. love this like walking, talking resource. It's yep. So it's always like a really satisfying, fun character. And I liked him a lot in this. Agreed. Yeah. 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 I enjoyed this one. I'm really glad you did. Yeah. I really, really liked it. Like big. I think I gave it like four and a half on Letterboxd nice. or something. Loved it. Very nice. Yeah. And also real, real quick. Um, very much like 2012. If you're. Oh, yeah. So, so tell me, I have not seen 2012. <laughs> Believe I, it or not, if you can. I know it's hard to believe. I don't know why I really like 2012. I think it's the perfect modern disaster movie. It does okay. all disaster movie stuff, but like really well. But anyways, the the fact that like this is a... So 2012 fo- mainly follows Cusack, John Cusack, as he 
kind of seems to be on the front line of finding out that we're headed towards a cataclysmic event. Um, and he is has a kind of a broken family. His wife, Amanda Pete, is remarried to uh, a surgeon and he has two little kids that he's kind of on the outs with. So a part of it is like redefining family, accepting people, bringing family back together. So there's elements of that with his kid. And I thought that was really interesting. And the inciting event in 2012 is that the core of the earth heats up so much that it like, like starts to make the, like the tectonic plates or whatever, like spin, free spin. So everything like shifts and moves on earth. And it reminded me very much of just the concept of like, oh, bombs shook the earth. Mm. Like it's not so much, oh, it's not hot because we the climate changed or we did a nuclear bomb and now everyone's dying like testament. It's just like, oh, we rocked it a little bit. So there was something kind of innocent about that that reminded me of 2012. <laughs> well, and, good. And 2012 opens, I mean, ends kind of hopefully with like, a, well, we... Some people are still alive, and look, we saved three big boats full of people, and everything's calmed down, and we'll be okay. <laughs> and there are elements of that there, too, obviously, if you choose yeah. to hear the bells as, like, yeah. hopeful and shit. Yeah, this is definitely a you-can-decide-how-this-movie-ends-for-you, and I, I yeah. respect that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I liked it a lot, and it did remind me of that. So maybe uh, Emmerich is a, is a fan of The Day the Earth Caught Fire. I would be surprised. I, I think even though, again, like I was not overly familiar with this, I'm sure this had its influences. <clears throat> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it has to. It's a very specific yeah. feeling of this kind of movie. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure people latched onto it. Yep. All right. Uh, so that is The Day the Earth Caught Fire. I don't know why I find it so hard to say those words together today. The Day um, the Earth Caught it's very uh, evocative of other sentency kind of titles. Mm, so maybe. I, I get it. Maybe. Maybe that's it. All right. We'll take a quick break and come back and talk about Testament. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading You're old enough to kill, but not for voting You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating But you tell me over and over and over again, my friend I ah, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction We are back to talk about another version of The End of the World, one I really like, and I don't think Christine does. It's 1983's Testament. Yeah, it is. Indeed. All right, again, we will spoil this movie. <laughs> uh, you already know it's pretty damn uh, dark and it's going in a certain direction, but uh, tell everybody, Christine. Directed by Lynn Littman, <coughs> based on a, bless you, based on a short story by Carol Amen, which you can read, I found online pretty easily. Oh, fun. I was curious if maybe it would solidify some feelings for oh, me. Oh, darn. Okay. Yeah, uh, just Google it. You'll find it in PDF. It's 11 pages. It was originally published in Ms. Magazine. 
Okay. it is I will say it's it's really it's an interesting read. It's um written as if it is uh just journal entries. It's her, I figured, you know, yeah. just writing it that way. Um it is very close to the movie. It kind of the mo- the screenplay follows it very closely. Uh, there are certain lines, because it's 11 pages, so it's very short. So there are a mm-hmm. lot of lines of dialogue that are then taken verbatim into it. Um, but it's very interesting. And <laughs> funny, fun fact about it is so the short story ran in Ms. Magazine. Lynn Littman read it and immediately secured the rights to it because she said, I want to make a movie of this. Um, and it, it was a couple of years later that she she did. And then she was really pissed because Ms. Magazine, because she thought like, oh, maybe they'll do like a feature on it because they did it. Like it'd be a good, yeah. a good content for their paper for their magazine they didn't and they gave the movie like a one paragraph bad Ooh. review and <laughs> she was pissed off understandably wow they way to play ball Jeez. i know right uh but 1983 very low budget so a weird production history so it was going to be done as a like television for the american playhouse i think which is the same thing that like rod serling used to do back in the 60s uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah it what happened basically was like at every stage, everybody kept saying, wait, no, this is really good. We can do more with it. So it was going to be an hour long. And um, when the screenwriter turned in the treatment and it was like a standard 90 minutes, they said, no, 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 we can do this. We'll, we'll do it as a 90 minute uh, television movie. And then I think it's after they filmed it, I think is when they decided, oh, no, this is good enough that we can put it in theaters. And then there was a little bit of an issue because the cast was like, hey, wait, you didn't pay us for that. You paid us for TV, not for film. Yeah. So, so they eventually got more money. But still, it was just a funny story on that. And it was a very little movie. It's a very low budget. Um, did go on to get a kind of surprise Oscar nomination for Jane Alexander. And it's something I love because this is the kind of, look, Oscar nominations just came out. Everybody always has strong opinions on them. Yes, the Oscars say everything you want about them. They are They have a lot of problems. They always do. But at the end of the day, what they also do is they get people to see movies that they might not have already uh, otherwise seen. And I am sure many more people saw Testament because it had an Oscar nomination than they would have otherwise. And I will always love that. So uh, that's some background. But Christine, have off. Tell us the plot of Testament. I didn't hate this movie. Oh, good. I just didn't find it effective and Hmm. if you don't find it effective I think it loses its point fascinating so anyways it's basically just a slice of life family uh nuclear bombs plural go off across the country we have no real idea we don't know the scope yeah I think there's there's heavily implied I think but I don't think we know the full scope so it's very much like more so than day the earth caught fire very much a small community mm-hmm. look at a little what suburban this, town yeah it's a it's a very community centric exploration of of a, a nuclear attack or mm-hmm. blast or whatever um and it opens very idyllic 80s um it feels like poltergeist um, yes it does um, I, I was thinking et but yeah same thing <laughs> well i mean sister movies so yeah for real there's an et sticker in this oh it said it I said i love et and oh. i was like you know what i love et too i wouldn't um, be surprised if half of that cast auditioned for et and poltergeist for, but for real it has that big poltergeist energy yeah. it like the the eldest daughter like the daughter there's only one daughter in this one has an eating disorder it seems mm-hmm. you know like your classic 80s eating disorder um where we don't we only have celery and we only chew on ice cubes um real relatable stuff 
and I and I was like, yeah, let's fucking go. This is my shit. Like I recognize this. I know this language. It I felt so much of my family. Like just yeah. that dynamic of mm-hmm. mom, like mom who stay at home mom who's doing everything, mm-hmm. who's feeding, you know, three kids in this case, four kids in my family, like running around, also doing school activities, knows everybody in town, dad who goes to work, who absolutely adores his family, but has to work really hard in order to get them the life. So when he sees them, it's this exciting thing, but then he's not there for other things and mom gets tired of it. Like the, the first like five minutes, I was like, oh, I never realized how much of my family this was. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I think, so it, it, it had me. I just want to make that very clear. It okay. had me. And then even once the blast happens, which is, horrifying and chilling and, and we see nothing either this is this is a movie that has like zero special effects whatsoever lights flash and that tells us everything we need to know hated it um i think it's everything after okay that that i didn't like it i will just say it felt sanitized it felt hollow it felt like hmm. play acting what somebody thinks might be what it just felt weird and, and really, really disingenuous to me. Huh. Um, I, I don't, I can't really explain it. It will like try to be ugly while also refusing to be ugly. And see, I'm, I mean, I'm on the reverse cause I find it very affecting. I like that it, it is, Very much like they're in a society, they're in, you know, a little community. There is certainly some negative things that are happening. There are people behaving badly, but we don't really see them because we're not focused on that. Mm -hmm. This is very much about this family kind of protecting itself and going about its life. And so there are bad things happening. We know people are dying. We know there is probably you know, looting and other things going on as well. I, I, to me, this works because it's not about seeing that. It is about, you could tell that movie, that movie is the day after, that movie is Threads. This movie is not that. This movie is the fam, the one family who tries to make the best of it and are still on the, you know, they're, they're losing the battle. They cannot beat nuclear radiation, but we don't need to see you know, the actual everybody's hair falling out and teeth falling out. But we do. It, it teases a lot of that, but it doesn't show it. To me, that felt cowardly. Mm, and I do I understand. just enough of it. Uh, well, and, and, I, and I can completely relate to that, but I will counter with, if you're not emotionally involved in it, then it doesn't work at all. Like that, that skirting the line, it, it requires me, I feel like an asshole and I did not dislike this movie and I'm not trying to talk mm-hmm. you out of liking it. But, but you won't, for, so. No, no, I know. I'm not even attempting to. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. But for me, it's like, if you don't buy into these characters, then what story are you telling me? I, and oh, then sure. I didn't think you were telling me a story that was unique or particularly interesting. It, it felt like like was I not supposed to like them that's a genuine question if I wasn't supposed to like them then I think the movie worked but if I was supposed to like really relate to them they they kept making weird choices that didn't seem backed up by reality and and it was just weird and and I struggled to find 
a port in the storm. Well, what what did you not like about them? What are some of the choices they made that that bothered you? It just seemed like they they decided to stay in their community to foster community, but then I didn't witness them fostering community. Well, I think part of it in the beginning is that they don't know if dad's coming home. Because so, it's, it's a few weeks before she hears the message that, no, he definitely died in San Francisco. So she never heard that message. That was a question I genuinely yeah. had. She didn't hear that message before we heard it. Correct. Okay, because I wasn't sure if she, like, knew and that was us No, no. Out. I think she, she hears there's two messages early on where it's him calling and saying, I'm coming home. Then it's him calling and saying, I got delayed. And she thinks early on from where it cuts off is that he's in Chicago. Because that's why later they ask, like, have you heard about Chicago yet? Because they think that's where he left off. And then later, at this point, it's probably like two, three weeks into it, where she's looking for a battery at night, and she takes it out of the answering machine. But before she does, she realizes there's a message there. Because again, like, old school answering machines were totally different back then. And she plays it, and that is the first time she hears it and realizes he he is dead. He died in San Francisco. So that... And, and if you write it all down on paper, I completely understand. I'm right, not, but you didn't I'm, understand. You that was not communicated to you watching it. But but and even even that aside, like so, okay, she was just, they were just staying because they didn't know about the dad, and that's fair. I just think maybe I wanted more. There's a lot of weight behind that decision, and mm-hmm. we didn't sit with that weight. We didn't. She didn't say to us in the in the thing. Maybe I made a mistake. Am I? Could if we had left, would my kids not be dying in front of me? Mm-hmm. It just felt like there was like a lack of weight given to these decisions, and we just had to be okay with the fact that it didn't seem like, from the outside viewing perspective, she she was doing much for the situation. And I I get that. Then the argument is, well, what can you do? The futility is the point. Okay, well then explore that because I don't necessarily know that I felt that way. Hmm. Well, I think early on, there's I mean, you have the school play. Yes, I I found the school play exceptionally poignant. Yeah. I really did. It felt very COVID to me. Yes, Like this push of like, we have to pretend everything's regular. Yes. Felt really chilling and like, I get this. And yet even when you're doing that, you have to stand up and say, oh, the... This girl is homesick, so she can't do this part. And and of course you're thinking, oh, this girl's dead. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fully. And and I like that. I think that was my last positive note. Mm. Well, and, and that and the then, movie doesn't say anything about it. Like, it shows everybody in the audience crying, and you know that they're seeing this yep. as, this is the last time we get this. If but it doesn't make done, a point of saying that, which I really respect. If they had done that, like, once or twice more, I think I would have had a completely different feeling. Because that shows the the what the weight of this breakdown it's not just community breakdown it's a world break how do Mm -hmm. we cope with that what is how do we comprehend that and then I just feel like when we boiled it down to these quieter moments we lost that weight Hmm. like the gas line is was terrifying I loved that yeah but then again we start to lose that and and as we burn bodies it's just I don't I don't know what I'm getting out of it anymore, you know? Yeah, and for me, and again, part of it might be because I have seen a lot of these kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. So I have seen the movie where it's all about the gas line or it's all about, you know, getting rid of the bodies. And, like, there is a movie there for every more graphic depiction of what's going on. 
in this situation. Mm-hmm. And what I take this as very much of this is all, and maybe it's because, you know, knowing like American Playhouse presents, like this could be a play. This could be done on stage. This is just one family with no knowledge of what's going on, which in again, in reality could very well be what happens if, if this ever happens. And it's just, okay, you're a mom, you have three fairly young kids, you you don't know what to do. You you are not the decision maker in the house, and now you have to make a decision, still not knowing if your partner is coming home. And now it is probably too late to make that decision, even though now you know your partner's not home. So what do you what do you do? You just you keep trying to raise your kids, you and you're aware. And I think um so to me this is what that's a this is a movie about that kind of smallness of the the individual in this situation and you know nobody in this movie is going to make a difference in the world but they do within their own worlds and maybe to other people um because there are you know some of the other characters in this let's let's talk about uh baby faces uh we have some before they were famous uh 80s heartthrobs here do we not um well Lucas Haas. Is that- oh, well, I mean, I wasn't going to say him just yet. I, I was thinking on the older side, but yes, I know, you have but baby face he, he and I are essentially the same age, so it's not, it's not weird. I yes, know. And, I, and he but would be a- me in this movie because I'm the youngest, so. Yeah, and it, like, so very big introducing Lucas Haas. Yes, and he's, was, he's adorable in this. He's and very cute. He's perfect, yeah. But I think you might be talking about, was it Kevin Costner? Kevin <laughs> Costner and, and, and his wife in oh, this Rebecca movie, Rebecca DeMornay. So I shout, is that Rebecca DeMornay? Uh-huh. Huh? For completely just Kevin Costner's right there. And I'm like, <laughs> he's got weird hair. He's got like a mushroom cut in this I movie. That's kind of very, very unflattering. I didn't notice it was him until I think maybe the second time. Okay, maybe when he started he sh- talking. Yeah, he showed yeah. up and I was like, oh my gosh. Very, very exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting to see them for sure. And they, I mean, they have their own you know very big small story which is they she has a newborn mm-hmm. and the first the very like first night after or of the attack of the attack you know they all kind of do a town meeting and she asks the doctor you know my my baby's not taking my milk is that is that a problem and the doctor won't say anything the doctor just sits down and you know shortly thereafter you see kevin costner walking with a so did this work for you? Kevin Costner is walking with a like drawer, a wooden drawer from an armoire. And uh, Carol, Jane Alexander says like, oh, kind of what's this for? And you realize immediately what that's for, that the baby yeah. has died. Um, I don't know that to me, like I don't need to see the baby dying. Like that was enough of telling me exactly what happened there. So can I explain to you why that didn't work for me? You and can. maybe you can help me understand what I'm my problem is. Yes. Okay. So the second I saw him crying, I said, oh, the baby died. Not like in a happy way. I wasn't happy about it. So <laughs> I knew- Weren't you though, what... Christine, baby killer, make beef? No. I was, and I actually thought that conceptually that was really effective. Mm-hmm. I thought like, okay, we're stepping things up. We're, no holds bar. The gloves are off. Got it. So he is upset. Well, I mean, his child died, but also he has a drawer and he's going to put the baby in a drawer to bury it, which is horrifying and upsetting. And the reason is because they can't waste the wood. So then why for the next like seven or eight people that die, are they like chilling in coffins? Like, why is this baby in a drawer? But like other people are just in coffins. It That didn't that broke it 
for me. Like, why? You have to, so you're trying to manipulate me by telling me how terrible it is for this little dead baby and their very upset young parents. But like, it's not really, because that guy's in a coffin. So you're lying to me. The movie's trying to manipulate me. I don't know that I noticed the coffin after, because there were a it's lot of times it's just, just bodies. So. But that's at, that's well after. So maybe it's edited out of order. Maybe mm. the baby dies before, but maybe mm-hmm. the baby's, because it feels in the in the film that maybe the baby is one of the first, if not the first. Mm-hmm. Early, fairly but, early. But maybe it's not really that way in like the way it was filmed or the mm-hmm. way that it was Could originally constructed. And they felt like they needed to do that early to like make a point or something. But in the movie, they tell me they don't have resources and it's supposed to be heartbreaking. And then they have resources. Mm. So it's kind of like, is this, I don't, okay, whatever, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. You cold hearted... I'm not but but like because I want I wanted to be there with it it's just it kept doing things where it felt like a half step and that felt like a half step to me like oh I'm super bummed that this baby's dead and it's so tragic it has to be buried in a drawer that's how bad things are except they don't because that guy is literally in a a well-constructed coffin I can see it (laughs) interesting I don't know maybe I'm being too redundant to try to protect myself from getting upset possibly but uh, no I, but I mean also very valid because that is something I I don't remember the coffins but I know there I mean there are a lot of scenes in the cemetery there's a lot of scenes of bodies and bags there are I mean because the kids the kids start dying after that right yeah and we see Lucas Haas who's the first to go is I don't think he's because he's buried in their yard right yeah he's in a, he's in cloth he's like in a right in, a, in cloth I believe yeah yeah, and then and that's, yeah. that's obviously heartbreaking and sad yeah. and disturbing. But again, I, I know that things don't need to be gross or explicit mm-hmm. to be disturbing, but they made a point to show explicit stuff, but not really be truthful about it. That's kind of my problem. Like, I don't really need to know that's how it's going down with Lucas Haas if you're not going to be honest about how awful it really would be. Huh. See, and I guess I'm of the camp. That I think of, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's in part that this movie feels, and it's 1983, mm-hmm. it is female directed, based on a story from Ms. Magazine. <laughs> it is, <laughs> Am I asking for too much, Emily? No, 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 no. And I want to be careful what I say, because I don't want to, like, I don't want this to, this to come out sounding a weird gender thing. But I feel like you have a lot of different ways to tell stories about the end of the world and and Mm -hmm. ask all the questions that come up with that. And uh, there are many people who will watch the zombie version, who will watch the, you know, the the 80s video, nasty, street trashy version of this story. There are people who want the... um, seeking a friend at the end of the world type story like Mm -hmm. there's different ways of doing it and in a way this feels like it is like who is this meant to really affect i feel like this is very much intended to get to parents to get to like i don't just want to say like oh this is the housewife version of the end of the world no but but you're but But i think it is not wrong and i think that version of of early 80s late 70s really yeah um fe- femininity uh mm-hmm. is not something that i think i can jive with and i right. think that i i did wonder that myself too like 
because I usually use like female directed or written as like my rallying cry to see something. Mm -hmm. But I think the opposite happened in this. Like I found this depiction so removed from anything I'm interested in that it was like, oh, this is not for me, I don't think. Fair. And I mean, you and I are both not parents. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are some there are some stories I can read or watch and say, I can get that this would be more effective if I was a mother. Like, plain and simple, this is a story made for mothers. And I, again, this one does work for me for different reasons. But I, I do think that that's to me where the validity of the way this film tells the story, I have not seen it told this way. Um, I think it is very centered on this very, very realistic, not exceptional, you know, um, you know, Jane Alexander in this movie, she is, she's a mom. She is not clearly the most resourceful. Like even I think something that I, we haven't talked about yet, but how as much as she is very much clearly like in this household, like, okay, she's handling all the kids stuff. She's probably the one that handles like the bills, but this is very much a family where, like, dad makes the decisions. You can feel that early on. Dad is, you know, the, the kids, like, absolutely, like, fall in line to dad. And when he is gone, she doesn't know what to do. And that, that is not a, a fault to this character. I think that's very believable mm -hmm. for a mother of three in 1983. And it kind of then, like, it's, it's an, again, a, a way, that, something that you wouldn't, a story that you wouldn't maybe tell this way today because you don't usually want to like give a woman less authority, especially in a family. And instead, very quickly in this movie, the oldest, the middle child, the oldest son, um, what is the character's name is Brad Rossi yeah. Harris from airplane. He's the, do you yes, like, do you like gladiator movies? He's that kid. That's um, what I recognize. Yes. Him yes. From. I couldn't place it and mm -hmm. I didn't look it up for some reason. Yes. Um, he, you know, very quickly becomes the man of the house and she acknowledges it very quickly. You know, she realizes it, like as the next day when they're eating breakfast and he's the one saying, I don't think we should be eating this. I think like if, if this doesn't taste right, I think nuclear stuff can get into milk and get into water like and she just looks at him she's like you're right okay what do we do and throughout the film like he is the he is the kid that steps up he is the one who um starts kind of like he's the one that becomes a man he's the one that decides what can i do i can go help the, the old guy on his radio i can go give messages i have a bike i can go deliver things i can go help people like and he really does take on that role and and grow up and and I really like what the film does with him and that even early on, like the second day stuff is happening when people are bringing like electronics to one spot to all share things. He sees like the bully, like the kind of jerky kid stealing stuff and he calls him out on it. And there's something I think I really like when a film gives a child a moral compass that's very clear. And I think it does that here. And then throughout the film, he he does grow into that part even more. And it also very much puts Jane Alexander's character as somebody who is not there for herself. She is there to for her children and to have them become who they're going to be. And they don't obviously get to become that person. I mean, there's like that devastating conversation where the daughter says, what's oh, it like to make daughter, love? Yeah. Um, she's like, and she doesn't say, you know, it's because I'm never going to get to. Like, it's this really, really tragic thing. Um, but that Jane, Alex Jane Alexander exists for her kids. And I think that is hard to fully latch onto 
um, for some people. And at the same time, I think if you showed this movie at a PTA meeting, I think you would have people walking out sobbing. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I find that I, I don't think I had to think about that before because this movie just worked on me from the beginning. But the more seeing how it really didn't work on you just makes me think like it's really I don't know that it was made for that audience, but like the closing of this movie is that is from Lynn Littman. This film is dedicated to my family and it feels like, yes, this is a mother's film aimed at mothers. Yeah. And, and, and it's reflective of a certain time. Yeah, for sure. I, it's, yeah, I just, I guess it just didn't, it didn't fire for me, which I think is fine. Totally. Of course. It's, and I think to your to your point, I, I am a, probably a little bit too cynical and stuff. But like, you, <laughs> if you showed it, if no, but if you showed it to a PTA group or whatever, they'd leave crying. Like, I don't like to be emotionally manipulated. Okay. And it felt it felt emotionally manipulative to me. Yeah. And I and and that that's me being cynical because I'll I'll yell that at Disney movies. Don't oh, yeah. emotionally manipulate me. Wish I'm not going to be emotionally emotionally manipulated by you, Wally. Don't fucking try. Well, I don't like it. Though. It does. I can't watch up. <laughs> I, but these are things I know, and I just don't want things to wiggle in there and try to jerk loose a response that I'm not really feeling. That's fair. And it felt like it was getting dangerously close to. to that. I, there are like there's a, a scene, or, like the very first scene of the movie is. Uh, Brad and dad and they go on bike rides together and Brad can never make it over the hill and dad always like you know kind of bugs him on it and then like near the end of the movie Brad can make it up that hill on his dad's bike and like yes there's some very simple um, symbolism here it it works for me but I can see that do you want to know who's who's uh, whose side you'd be on for this movie your surprise Um, ally uh, okay who okay so here's a quote from I think this was IMDb or from from the trivia. So early in the pre-production stage, Lynn Littman was trying to figure out who she wanted to cast. And the first person she thought of was Julie Christie. Uh, so she sent her the short story, not the screenplay, but the actual short story. And Julie Christie replied back, declining the role, saying in her letter to Littman that the, and I quote, the night, I can never say this word, naivete of the story made it uniquely American. And she was not the right choice for the part. Oh my gosh, me and Julie Christie, you right? And Julie Christie. Wait, was Julie Christie and Don't Look Now? Or yes. Oh, no, no, so no, that's Julie Christie. That's a story of of childhood loss. Yeah. That I can fucking get behind. <laughs> so we know, know what you need. You need but little no, dwarves in, in raincoats. It's actually like comforting in a way to hear somebody express that because I, yeah. I felt kind of like an asshole after I watched this. No, Especially no, apparently you're just British. You like it. <laughs> I know that you like it, liked it, and I really felt like, am I building a wall so that I don't get upset? Mm. But I sat and I sobbed through a big part of the day the earth caught fire. So I think that that wasn't it. Yeah. No, it is know. perfectly okay for a movie that I really love for you to, to dislike. That is perfectly okay. I don't okay. feel comfortable. I don't no, feel comfortable. it's fine. <laughs> No, it's, again, I'm, I think it makes for a more interesting discussion in some ways. I'm glad that I watched it, though. Yeah. I won't say that I'm not because it it's, uh, to your po- earlier point, it's always really interesting to see 
different stories take on similar, if not the exact same subject matter. Yes. Like what do, what are we focused on? What are we worried about? What are our problems? Mm -hmm. That is interesting. So this is just, it's just interesting. I just sadly didn't like. You didn't connect. And this is an emotional movie. So if you're not connecting, then it's not going to work for you. I will say I made notes. Um, I literally said it's even scarier now because we lack community Yes. And then my next note is, we can't run radios. L-O-L-O-L-O-L. <laughs> note to yeah. self, learn radios. Learn radio. So I have to learn radios. Excellent. I'll learn them too, so that we, you and I can at least radio each other. We can, we can talk. So like, a couple of us need to learn radios, or else there's yeah. no point. Well, because we need to, so you and I could podcast by crank radio, but if we mm-hmm. need people to listen, presumably. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't matter. As long as you and I can do it, it's fine. It's fine. We're on different sides of the country, so it kind of works out. But I'm probably dying in the blast right away. I'm pretty close to Manhattan. But I am going to move farther up, so I don't know. Don't count me out. Oh, I'm going to get radiation. (laughs) You, I don't know about you, because you're going to be, how close are you to L.A.? Two and a half, three hours. Okay. I don't know. Would they bomb L.A.? I don't know. Right now, I'm fucked. Yeah. Seattle. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so that's a good I'm hub, doing, good port. I don't think I'm doing well, um, but you know, the desert maybe. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, do you want to end on a happy note or like so something more positive? Did you have something? Well, I was doing a little bit of googling on Jane Alexander, who again, star of this movie, nominated for an Oscar for it. And I found an interview with her from 2021, so it was during pandemic, and she had just okay. done like a part on Broadway. And it was just this lovely article about her, an interview with her um, from the Washington Post, and just like a reminder of like how great she is. And she has been an activist her entire life. She like even like she would choose very political parts. She was in, you know, she played a lesbian when she was very young. She did like a movie where she was in an interracial relationship before that was okay to do. Um, Has spent like after this movie, she became very like politically, environmentally minded. She's been apparently like, she's been honored by like the Illinois bird society for saving birds. Like she's just amazing and, and puts her, you know, like learned a lot and, and does good with all of her power. Um, and so the interview is like talking a lot about COVID and kind of about like the state of the world. And so she had a statement that I thought was just very beautiful that I wanted to share. So this is Jane Alexander speaking, not me. <clears throat> and Jane Alexander spoke in 2021 and said, this is not the scariest time to be alive. It is the most extraordinary time to be alive. Look at the infrastructure focus in an otherwise chaotic Congress and how people are recognizing the connectivity between the environment, economics, race, and justice. Yes, the world is in peril, but the world is always ending in a way. The world of your childhood was never going to last. The world of your children will fall away too. This is the way of life. New wonders replace old wonders. One problem is solved in time to tackle the next one. We adapt, we age, we breathe, we remember. We do our best, we don't give up. Isn't that lovely? I mean, it's, it's it, to me, it's similar to the end of Testament um, when, you know, we don't know that everybody's dying, but they will die soon, is, you know, they say, like, okay, what what is what do we wish? What, what do we need to remember? And it's that we remember it all, the good, the awful, the way we finally live that we never gave up. I don't know, that she kind of, t- that this role clearly meant a lot to her and kind of stayed in her bones and that, you know, she she looks at the world, I think, in a similar way of, yeah, it's it's fucked, but we can try to do what we can to at least have our part mean something. Yeah, I completely agree. I I am extremely um, 
negative and cynical and sad and I'm a doomer I think it's all awful but I don't stop trying I I I you know shake off chip bags and I recycle them in a thing that I pay to do like I'm still I'm still fucking trying (laughs) so being sad doesn't mean you stop trying I wish I hope more people know that yeah so yeah Yeah. hope is hope is is what you make of it it can be as big or as small as you need it to be yeah and that's I think why I have changed over the years from finding you know nuclear uh terror movies being kind of exciting and sort of fun what-if scenarios to being weirdly peaceful in Mm -hmm. a way that just makes me think, okay, well, you know, my world is ending every day because, you know, every day I'm closer to death and true of this planet, probably it will die after I do, but who knows, it might not. And, okay, I'm going to make the most of my life the same way we're going to make the most of this world. So I, you know, to me, that's where there's something very evocative and very kind of inspiring about these kinds of stories is you know we're at the end it's gonna end one way or another we're gonna Mm -hmm. end and just make what you can out of it be be happy with who you are and what you've done yep i agree well good even if you didn't agree on the movie that's okay oh well i'm still glad i watched it good wonderful um i think our next episode will likely be a catch-up i feel like we're due for one yeah, I think so. That's probably a fair assessment. I'll have to watch some fun stuff to talk about. It's right. been a little uh, dry lately. Oh, well, uh, I, I've been trying to go on like the Oscar plunge of catching up on some things. So. <gasps> oh, you'll have to let me know if there's stuff worth looking at. Okay. I'm trying to remember what I've watched so far, and already I can't remember. So that tells well, you something. But That's why I got to get some good stuff in there, too, because I'm kind of in the same boat. I haven't really seen anything worth talking about recently. All right. Well, we will hopefully have <laughs> stuff on that great note of our preview <laughs> of next episode where we say, yeah, I don't really have anything. Hopefully we'll have stuff by then. Don't worry. Well, I'll make a point. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Well, I am Emily. You're Christine. Um Usually. You can find us on Twitter, X, whatever, sometimes at Feminine Podcast, on Facebook at the Feminine Critique Group, and on Instagram at Feminine underscore Critique underscore Pod. And you can buy Christine's books at ChristineMakePeace.com. You can. Yes. All right, folks. On that note, uh, if the world ends before we talk to you next, we hope you've made the most out of it. Yeah. Everybody, be kind to each other. Foster community. Don't be weird. There you go. What more do you need? There's such a sad love deep in your eyes, a kind of Sweeps through, makes no sense for